Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Do more paranormal phenomena actually occur on, quote, dark and stormy nights, unquote? What are the nine kinds of paranormal parasites I have identified in my career as a paranormal researcher? Is it always bad to use Ouija boards and seances? Why am I reading last night's introduction? Well, hello there, and welcome to the 366th broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, and this is indeed last night's script. So no, it's not. The, 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 just the entry intro. It's 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 not last night's script. Oh, so this is it the sixty fifth. It was transposed. So this is the six the sixty fifth broadcast. Correct? Y- yes, it is. Even we are not perfect. Yes, yes, indeed. Well, uh, so continuing with our intro, this is uh, behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And those many and varied questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So tonight we're doing an open line show, which we all know and love. And oh, I personally like it, but it doesn't really matter. Um, to deal with questions from listeners like the ones you're or you just heard. But first, it's time for a weekly paranormal contest. The last week's question was, "What creature went on a rampage on the outskirts of Philadelphia in 1909?" That question was a bit of an exaggeration because it wasn't as if some 500-foot monster was stomping on Independence Hall or hurling the Liberty Bell at a passing bus. Anyway, the first one to get the correct answer was Chris Wojcik of Worcester, Massachusetts, who blamed the Jersey Devil, supposedly a flying horse-like creature that lives in the New Jersey Pine Barrens. Uh, the critter seems to have struck out westward during the period January 16th through 23rd, 1909, when over 100 sightings were reported around the eastern suburbs of the city of Brotherly Love. These included flyovers and landings on people's rooftops. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? You know, Mothman and all that. Well, not in one socket. Well, I know. I'm no, just, not yet. Anyway. I'm, I'm just yeah. saying. All right, anyway, so this week's question is, in what U.S. state did a couple recently sue their landlord because they claim their house is haunted? That's probably happened more than once, but... Yeah, but this was big news. Oh, yeah, so uh, be first to get that right and win a copy of Footsteps in the Attic, my dad's most popular book. Uh, we do welcome callers this evening. Our phone number is locally or from Canada, 401-766-1240, or from anywhere in the USA, 800-449-1240. Now, we started last night as an open line show, uh, and we had planned this evening to do a show on the history, human history and the influence, possible influence of paranormal parasites, but we are so overwhelmed with emails and questions that we thought we'd just better continue this evening and on August 6th that we will do the show with the theme of the paranormal parasites in human history. Although, our first communication, which is from Anchorage, Alaska, from Fred, Fred Brooks, he said we could use that name, uh, it has to do with, with that very question. So let's uh, begin. I'll have Ben read it. And I will tell you that if, if you do have access to a computer, you can see the photographs in question on the Talking Points page of BehindTheParanormal.com. And you can, whatever you may think of them, you go ahead and think. So, All right, ahead, Ben. All right, so, hello, Paul and Ben. Friends, friends and I have been contacted, uh, have had, have been having contact, sorry, my mild dyslexia is kicking in. Uh, friends and I have been having contact with a few entities, many of which look like the classic Shadow Man. If there is a if there is a classic Shadow Man. Okay, I'm going to stop you. It's a long one. I'll stop you as we go, just to explain certain things. But unless you want to explain what the Shadow Person 
phenomenon well, is. Well, it's also known as, well, besides Shadow Man, it's also known as just shadows, and it's like, it's usually associated with Native American cultures and things like that. It's, well, you, you explain, you're better well, explaining it. it. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, certain dark forms that, that look like shadows, and hence, hence the name, it's not too complicated. No one's entirely sure what they are. Uh, of course, we have our multiverse ideas about what these things could be. Uh, some associate them with the so-called men in black, who are uh, themselves associated with UFO phenomena. Uh, and the aftermath thereof, things of that kind. So this is what our friend is referring to. All right, so he continues to say, they have no hats, uh, but are dark... Men in black usually have hats. They have no hats, but are darker than dark, uh, humanoid-looking figures, and are are, uh, particularly interested in my friend's five-year-old son and have been in my apartment. They go to him when he is asleep, at which time we go in with love and prayer. Attached is a photo of the same, which we have on our talking points page. Uh, there are the same, or they are the same photo. Only one is cut out and blown up to try and get a better look. Why don't I just describe it for those who can't see it? And if uh, do we have a camera here that, for anyone? Because they're on uh, a computer yeah, anyway, they can look at the page. Hear All right. Okay. <laughs> What we're looking at here, uh, for those of you who can't see it, is a it's nighttime... Pi- yeah, oh dear. Because you can see the reflection yeah. of the board in there. Well, those are all so, the ghosts well, that, moving around in the picture. It was, it was a valiant effort, but okay. I think it's Well, anyway, work. we're looking at a street scene in Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, I believe it's April or May of 2011, because you can tell it's Anchorage because there's already snow on the street. And at the very end of the sidewalk, one can see two, what appear to be two tall figures with uh, almost like mesh-like or male-like, you know, in the medieval sense, uh, masks hanging down over their faces and down to their chests. And uh, they are uh, unnaturally thin for anybody who would be human. Uh, But the reason this attracted our attention, or my attention anyway, is because in our paranormal work, we believe that we are not dealing with dead people or spirits or anything like this. We're dealing with parallel realities that are occupying the same space as we are at any given time. And there are parallel realities that are very different from the one we're in. You might call them alien, I suppose, in the broad sense of the term, and you wouldn't be wrong. And we have, or I have at least, encountered figures like this. So that's what kind of drew my attention to this. And of course it could be just reflections or something else. This only came in recently. We haven't had had, had a chance to really uh, send it to our Killjoy photo expert yet. Uh, and also in this picture, and the larger one, there is supposedly a face off to the left. But again, you, know, you stare at anything long enough, you're going to start seeing faces. So I, I really reserve judgment on this, but it did seem a little bit familiar when I saw these, these photos. So go ahead, Ben. Well, you just cut off like half of his email because he describes what he sees in it well that's 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 fine so we we got the impression that they were um that they were human and definitely negative slash evil they were they were everywhere in this area that night and i also occasionally see quote-unquote men in white robes walking in uh walking the uh hallway they uh i'm not sure who they are but the Intuitive, but um, my intuitive friend said that she uh, she was told that they were the quote wisest of the wise unquote. Okay, well, let's stop again there. All right, uh, he mentions that the the friend's five year old son 
is an object of the attention of the, some of these, what he believes are negative entities or, or what we might imply are paranormal parasites. Now, when we say parasites, we mean entities that, that seem to be able to cross relatively easily or at least access the boundaries of, of the various alternate realities we've been talking about and are the basis, have been present throughout the consciousness of the human race and are enshrined in our folklore as demons, evil spirits, servants of Satan, or what have you. And our opinion is that these are no such thing. They are not they are hungry and they are hostile, but their theology is not necessarily the same as ours. And we encounter them very frequently. And they are part of nature, we believe, as would be mosquitoes or any other sort of parasitical entity you might find in the woods. They do seem to have to eat. They are living things. They're not spirits. I have had physical encounters with them in a hostile way. Uh, notably in the Bridgeport Poltergeist case of, of uh, 1974, which I've described many times, and this sort of thing. So when they are hanging around a young child at the age of five, that makes me nervous. However, these uh, the folks who are writing this uh, letter, Fred here in Anchorage, seems to be a, a listener to the show, and he seems to have uh, really used our main uh, answer to the parasite problem, which is simply to to uh, use positive energy to displace the negative energy. Love, compassion, uh, coming together as a family or whatever group you live with, and uh, to use that as a weapon. And, and it, it really is a very, has a very positive effect in repelling parasites. I don't know why, but for some reason that seems to be the case. Now, Ben uh, was reading also the part where there are white-robed figures. There do seem to be an interesting collection of entities out there my sanities, many of them do seem to be humanoid. They're just as physical as we are in their own worlds. And many do seem to have appointed themselves, uh, if you want to say, guardians to us or, or whether to help us, in the same way I suppose that we might wish to help other humans who are, who are uh, less fortunate than we are or to volunteer at a, an animal shelter or something like this. Uh, in order to to uh, be of assistance or to, or to express our um, solidarity with our fellow creatures, so I think that there's a and the the unit, the multiverse is an open system, and they're far more aware of us than we are of them. And I suppose they they in turn are the origin of our legends about angels and spirit guides and things of this kind. And uh, again, being real uh, really a part of nature too. So uh, there, and I often find that when there are parasites present, there often are these others who will help um, oppose the parasites and perhaps in their own worlds they are at war or they are hostile to one another and uh, one can see why. So th that's all speculation on our part, but we see it borne out in our cases. So go ahead. Okay, so he goes on to say, I'm not sure what that means, but I am glad they're here. It feels good when they are here. Uh, do you know any of these? And he says, the pictures attached. Any, uh, do you know any of these, blah, 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 which you said yes. So my question is, where can I go to get a description of the nine parasites you have cataloged? Okay, well, a lot of people are writing in about that. And nine uh, types, I should be more specific. Yeah, because I have mentioned that in my work over the last 42 years, I have uh, come up with about, uh, identified, at least in my own day-to-day um, -day work, uh, nine types of parasitical entities. Now, Ben and I were talking yesterday, and I said, you know, Ben, I often get the, the impression that there are almost opposite numbers 
to these kinds of creatures. In other words, you have a negative paras- a parasite. You might have well, everything's uh, balanced. Uh, so. Yeah, everything seems to be balanced. Yeah, there seems to. Be, and I noticed there he has the same type of creatures. You know, n- not to be uh, I don't know stereotypical here or hokey. But the, the white robe ones, as opposed to the ones in the black robes, I mean, are they opposite numbers? I don't Star know. Star Wars here? Or? Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you can, again, you know, you have to be careful of your imagination here because we all see the same movies, we all read the same books, etc. However, I mean, you know, when you meet these things, you meet them, and we have uh, literally thousands of people who write to us saying that they've met the same thing, sending photographs and things of this kind, and uh, this is something I think that needs to be taken seriously. So, in any case. Uh, I think that um, the nine types, uh, I will, they are going to be in my next book, which is three years late. And when we do the show on the history, uh, the the um, influence on human history of these parasitic entities, I will name in detail the nine different species that will be on August 6th. I would do it now, but we can't. We don't want to devote the whole show to this. We have a lot of emails. Uh, I will, however, say that there is a hierarchy of these things. At the top, you have entities that... Uh, I have always run into who are very wise in the sense of their own species. They come across as very ancient, uh, alien, and at the same time not alien. That's hard to describe. You kind of have to be in their presence. They are very oddly at peace with what they are and what they do. They are not the spirits of dead people. They are not, as I say, the servants of Satan, though one can see how they would fit that role in our folklore. Um, and when I say folklore, I don't mean I'm not taking it seriously. I don't mean that it's not real. It's it's it's, it's as real as you can get. But uh, the ones at the top also, and, and then there are several rungs down the ladder. There are leaders of groups of these things. Some of them are, um, seem to act in packs. They're pack hunters, as it were, preying on certain families, sometimes for generations. All the way down to the bottom, where you have the, the two-dimensional thinkers, the... Um, childlike entities who sometimes, such as the one if you go back through the years of our podcasts uh, when we had a guest named X a very famous figure in the art world in uh, New York City uh, who did not want uh, name revealed and this particular person was the victim for 25 years and almost 30 now of an entity of the lower kind of parasite that is very afraid to detach itself from her because it doesn't remember where it came from or when or what its origins were and this is very common with the, with these these creatures they if you they are afraid to separate from their host because they don't remember what their origins are and finally down to the very lowest which are the childish uh, childlike ones who are just as described but also will play mean tricks and do odd things in order to to produce anxiety and annoyance in their host in order to to eat. So I will identify in my what what in my opinion are nine different species of these things all the way down the ladder on August 6th. So uh to answer the the reader's question if you can just hold on to August 6th I will have that all uh ready to uh, to want to talk about on the air. So Okay, and can now uh, what are we doing another one because he does have more to ask okay why don't we uh, go back to that letter on august 6th because we're talking about parasites you know walking around the streets of anchorage alaska and uh, his uh, his girlfriend also reports if i can just uh, extrapolate from the letter also reports this thing uh, these things walking through him and her and, hi- and him reacting via having a physical violent a violent physical reaction to this 
experience of having them walk through. So we'll we'll, we'll deal with this letter again uh, as we uh, as we deal with the show on August sixth as an example not only of parasites in human history but perhaps their activity today. All right, here's a much shorter one. Uh, this is one having to do with our show last week with Nancy Clark, and, and I didn't see the who. What do you mean? What? Who wrote it? Oh, uh, Doctor J. Doctor J. Okay. Yes. From say where he's from? Providence. She, from Providence, Rhode Island. Okay. Nearby. <laughs> I'm sorry. Usually I announce the name. I know. I was just like, what do you what do you want me to say here? Is like, his name is Doctor J. What else do you want? No. All right. So, um, J writes to us. Uh, hi, Paul and Ben. I listened to last week's show with Dr. Nancy Clark, and I think you are way ahead of her on the multiverse theory. She didn't answer your question about the nature of her spirit guides and didn't seem to understand your ideas about uh, multiverse families. Uh, Why didn't you ask her about the idea of uh, coming from an original universe? I would have liked to have heard her answer. Well, it sounds like he read her book because... If you remember the show last week, or if you didn't hear it, Dr. Nancy Clark, who was a doctor of philosophy, I believe, wrote a book uh, about traveling to parallel universes. And many, many people are now on this bandwagon and are, are, are looking at the paranormal from this point of view of multiple worlds rather than from the old spiritualist point of view of you die and you become a spirit or a super being and uh, you know you, you use Ouija boards and seances and all this you know 19th century stuff uh, that, that's that's falling by the wayside now seemingly and people are looking at it from a more uh, viewpoint of more of quantum physics which opens up I think far more interesting possibilities than the old paradigm did so that so uh, Nancy Clark wrote a book uh, about that. However, she she seemed to, and she could be right. Maybe we're wrong. We see it as a very open system, flowing these 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 worlds flowing over us all the time, in families. In other words, we're constantly flowing into into universes where. Say you didn't drop the cup on the kitchen floor and it didn't it didn't crack and in one you did but but you know you pass into one and not the other and the worlds are very very similar yeah maybe you turn around and and the dishes in a different place from where you put it on the table and you have little glitches like that but generally the world is very much the same and continues in a way that you don't notice it and it's when you start to get outside the world family the family of worlds. Uh, where you know something weird really starts to happen, you say "aha," a ghost or Uncle George's spirit, or and that's just the only way we know to explain it. So uh, anyway, th- that's that's what he's talking about with world families or multiverse families. So in her book, Nancy states that there was an an original world in which she was born, or original universe, and it's from there that she kind of struck out into other universes. And the question I had wanted to ask her, and that certainly uh, Dr. J anticipated, was w- how do you know which was the original world? I mean, even as you were being born, you know, hundreds of worlds were were uh, washing over you, so to speak. Uh, all sorts of possibilities and probabilities. You know, the, the nurse picking up a medical instrument with one hand instead of the other. Uh, or or your, uh, your parents being different people. That sort of thing. Those things all seem to exist out there in our interpretation of quantum mechanics and in our paranormal cases. We see that. So that's a good question. Um, so I, I, I see your, I feel your pain, Dr. J. I did not have time to ask her the question. That this show does tend to go very quickly, even though we only have one break. And our CBS show on Sunday nights goes even more quickly because we have three commercial breaks. So. Uh, however, next time, if we have her on again, I will be sure to ask that question, and it is a good one. How do you know? Uh, I, I don't even think there is an original universe. 
I think it's the universe family, multiverse family we're talking about in this. So that's a, a pretty good question. Ben, ben, being the producer here, had to go out to answer the phone, so I'll take the next question myself here. Okay, here is... Um, this is from a, a very good. This is from one of our show reporters who has one of the most interesting questions uh, and cases uh, all the time because uh, it's a case we've been working on since '05. It was one of Ben's first cases when he was 13 when we started to let him do this, and we get constant reports from our reporter Donna in Connecticut. Now, this house, uh, we, talk, we talk about it on the air all the time, there is a great deal of multiverse activity going on. There are all sorts of different life forms passing through there. Uh, generations of, of her family still seem to be there. You can sit in the living room and feel you know, people coming and going, and they see all sorts of interesting things. So here's, uh, here's one just from uh, a recent occurrence at the house. Uh, there is uh, our friend... Uh, a reporter and then her husband and also living in the house is her daughter and uh, the, her young son so this is just her latest report my husband appeared at the door looking gray and exhausted this is on their porch uh, with the grandson uh, this particular morning uh, I know he slept on all, all night he said quote something in this house is sucking the life out of me no doubt it, it is but I have no idea how to stop it uh, we have been going along fairly well and um, no conflict, so I have no idea why this sudden rebirth of the exhaustion. These people are really uh, students of ours in a sense because they're right in the middle of it and uh, are familiar with what's uh, what's happening. And let me pause in discussing this case because we have a caller, uh, our friend Scott from Uxbridge. Oh, wrong, wrong oh, okay. line. Just kidding. Wrong line. All right. All right. There we go. There we go. Hello, uh, Scott. Okay. Hey, guys. How are you? How are you? Welcome oh, back to the show. Yourself? Okay. I'm good. Here's what I wanted to ask you about. Uh, back in the mid-90s, around 94, I was living with a woman. She was a, a massage therapist. She was really big into the New Age era and all of that stuff. She believed in the book, The Celestine Prophecies. Remember that one? Yes. What's ever become of that? Because it seemed like it was a very big thing in its day around... I'm talking about like 94, and it was supposed to be like an allegorical story, but we were going to take things like, oh, this is going to happen in the year 2000, and all of that. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a little rusty on I read it many years ago. I'm a little rusty on it. I read these books all the time just to keep up with what's happening. But it struck me, Scott, uh, Scott is from Uxbridge, Massachusetts, by the way, in case you're listening in England or somewhere, uh, not from London. Uh, and it struck me as, as a work of fiction that people kind of picked up and ran with. Like Correct. Scientology. Yeah, that sort uh, of thing. Or like, or like Lovecraft's Necronomicon. You know, the way, the way Susan, the girl I lived with, she didn't believe it that way. It was more the, you know, in the year 2000, you know, all knowledge will be opened up like we're hearing about here in the year 2012. Yeah. And that was how people took it. And I'm just curious, do people talk about it anymore? I mean, is it that kind of thing that was so popular in the mid-90s and it just kind of vanished. Like, people said, oh, well, good story, see you later. And I'm just wondering if people even talk about it anymore. It That's does come up right now and then. Yeah, it does come up now and then. But essentially, people right now are concerned with, the, with you know, they've moved on to the Mayan prophecy and the 2012 thing. And we have some questions about that, 
tonight as well. People have written in. Okay. Okay. And uh, so it's a matter of... Um, I think people will just being what they are will be interested in one subject, and then when the time comes and goes, nothing really happens. They pass on to something else, and I, I tend to suspect that in December, probably nothing discernible will really happen, and and people will just pass on to something else. As a matter of fact, we're planning uh, with some of our associates, Linda Moulton Howe, Bill Burns, and a few other people, uh, to have a an on air conference in. Um, probably February of next year, after all the hoopla has died down, uh, and talk about, okay, what's coming in the next few years, you know, a sort of a futurist kind of thing, maybe up till 2016 or 2020, what can we expect, what does it look like, uh, paranormally even, what could be happening, and are ready to move on to the next step. So uh, now, whether now, of course, if the 2012 people are correct and everything changes, then maybe we won't have to worry about doing that conference. But <clears throat> again, that's right. uh, again, it's people move on to the to the next thing. Um, I must say, uh, I am not overly familiar with the Celestine prophecy. I probably should be, but that is my impression uh, based on your question. Well, it was very, very popular because you know back in the day, you and I may have run into each other. I used to work at New Age conferences doing audio, uh, lex- uh, excuse me, w- what would happen is people would do audios and I would actually tape them working for someone. Okay. I, and all right. Wh- just like Bud Hopkins, I taped him. Oh, okay. Uh, Friedman, yep. people like that. Okay, and it was, it was called the Whole Health Expo. We're talking around 93, 94, 95. Okay. In this area, like Boston. All right. Well, I, I, th- that that may have been. I um, okay. I, I, I have not spoken at a lot. Well, we spoke, speak now more than we did, and I was always usually on the lecture circuit by myself because uh, at conferences people really didn't know what to make of what I was saying, and I, I sort of I, I was they didn't like what I was saying. Because I've been talking about this multiverse thing since the late seventies, and, and everybody said, "Ha, huh, what?" You know, so I, we probably didn't run into each other. But in any case, now that 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 may change. But we'd, we'd like to run into you, and we appreciate your calls. But uh, no, I, so you, uh, yeah, so so you're familiar with with this field and what's going on in the popular sense, and uh, yeah, very yeah, we much so. That. Yeah, well, if you remember, all right, back around the early, say ninety two, ninety three, ninety four. I think it's a clear distinction that, you know, it kind of died during Ronald Reagan's era because people just wanted to make money. Yes. Once people got back into the New Age thing, all of a sudden it kicked back in. The early 90s was a very popular time for New Age, you know, medicine, uh, blue-green algae. I'm sure you're... you're oh, yeah, really, I remember uh, that, yeah. You know, all of that. You know, it was kind of a thing where... People just wanted to be able to, like, okay, uh, I can drink it, be healthier, uh, UFOs, oh, yes, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, sure. If you fall going with that. Well, that, that generally happens when the economy, when the economy is bad, when, there's, uh, when, when it's wartime, or when people essentially are looking, are dissatisfied with, with their lives, or not, are not quite satisfied with what's going on in the world, uh, the, the paranormal and in, in particular in the new age thing in general tend to come to the fore. People are more interested in it. Whereas if everybody's got food on their plates and things are going pretty well and they're making money and they can go to Disney World every couple of years, 
you know, they're, they're not, not so concerned. But especially after the, the turn of the century, when religions started to kind of break down, or not break down, but become uh, people, people looked elsewhere for some of their answers. Uh, I see exactly what you're saying because uh, now there is plenty of interest in this. However, I've never seen the economy so bad uh, that even the psychics and the mediums are griping that they're not doing the business they would usually do during a recession. So, because nobody has any money. But uh, no, I see exactly what you're saying. The interest in this, uh, I'm sure uh, people, we're getting all sorts of email from people and, and communications from people who are frightened about December and their children are frightened. We've read some of these on the air. And as a matter of fact, we wanted to say a word or two about that tonight. Um, so, uh, so it has come back. Uh, this interest, and uh, but it's come back in a way that I've never quite seen. It. It's very uh, dark. Yeah, there's something different about it now. Yeah. It's, I don't I know don't... if you see the same thing, Scott. Well, you know, I want to say one thing to both of you. Why did Harry Houdini spend the rest of his, the end of his career during the worst depression the country had ever seen debunking all these false Psychics. I think it's very, very, you know, cogent to what's going on now. Just think about that. He spent his later part of his career going, "Nope, false psychic. I'm gonna, I'm gonna debunk you." And think about this: the the economy was horrible. Oh, a psychic can tell me how to make money, or a psychic can tell me how to get in touch with my dead relative. And it's very interesting that we have a lot. I personally don't think that this is a recession that we're going through. It's clearly a depression. Oh, you're right. But but what, what did Houdini had Houdini done nothing but debunk psychics? I don't think he would have even garnered much attention. What did he do? He gave people something else. Psychologically, when you watch somebody and you're convinced they're going to die by being you know tied up or underwater or in chains or you know locked in a box, and he'd always get out. Except the last time. Well, he got I, punched in the stomach and died. So right, right. But I mean, but but the thing is, you know, he he gave them an alternative to that, and uh, what did it do? It, it it really exalted his what what he himself did, because he, he essentially he's saying, well, all these other people are offering you false hope, but I'm giving you something real. You know what I'm saying? It was a, a deeply God, sort of, I don't know. I suppose a it deeply was a symbolic. More ta- it was a more tangible truth. Yeah, a deeply symbolic. Idea that, that you, you know, I can escape, so can you. That kind of thing, yeah. and I think it spoke no. to people in the depths of their of their psyches. No, but wait a second, guys. Don't don't forget, he was out to debunk all the false prophecies. Oh, sure. The false people. He was out there say, "Hey, I'm a magician. This is what I can do." And people are spending money on people saying, "Oh, okay, I can I can get in touch with your dead relatives." He was against that. He was not just a magician. He would say, okay, I can get out of this box, whatever. But what he was really concerned with, truthfully, was people being ripped off by fake psychics saying, I can get in touch with your ex-relatives, and they're going to tell you to put that money in, you know, my bank account, whatever. You follow where I'm going with this. He really felt very strong about charlatans. Oh, absolutely. But what's your point? I, I, let, me, let me just say, Lovecraft said people will pay all kinds of money to be bunked, but very little money to be debunked. I, th- I think that, that, that 
I suppose uh, Houdini, in my in my opinion, brought people's belief systems to a new level. And yeah, he was sincere in his in his debunking of these people. And what he would do for people who don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about Harry Houdini, the great escape artist of the 1920s and 30s, who would, who, along with being a great escape artist, he amazed everybody. Uh, would go out and deliberately debunk mediums at the time who were doing uh, many of whom were doing all sorts of fake. Um, you know, magic acts and, and, and tricks to make people think they were seeing ghosts and, uh, you know, cotton coming out of people's mouths and, and, and false uh, photography and things of this kind. That's what we're talking about. So go ahead, Scott. Well, that's the point, though, that he, he believed that, you know, okay, I'm a magician, I'm really good, but I really don't want people getting ripped off. Well, and, and that's that's commendable. And he didn't rip that, but, but I think that if, if we're... You were I out doing that in the 20s or 30s, very little attention might have been paid. But because it was Harry Houdini who was famous for being an escape artist and for amazing everyone and for stimulating people's imaginations and for giving them a very deep kind of psychological hope, I think that's why he got the attention that he got. I think they went together. I bet again, you know, posthumous psychoanalysis is always uh, perilous, so who knows? Yeah. I, I guess my final point is that, you know, he said, okay, I know how to fake it. Now, I want to protect people who are not being protected by people who could fake it. Did he, did he, he ever, uh, did he ever reveal his secrets? He himself wouldn't, but a magician never will. See, you get that the psychology is. here, Scott. It, no, no magician is ever... They are reinforcing the suspension of disbelief by not revealing their secrets. If he had revealed all his secrets, everybody said, well, huh, you know, he, that would have been the end of his bank account. Yeah, yeah but, but so Paul... So he was, he was no saint. No, no, but Paul, he's not telling you how he escaped from a, say, a wooden box or whatever. He was trying to say, look it, I can do this. I want to protect people who are being ripped off by, by fake psychics. I know how, I know how it's done. I'm not necessarily going to tell you how it's done, but I'm going to tell you, do not put your money into people who can supposedly say, oh, well, uh, you know, um, uh, your aunt from the beyond the grave is telling you yeah. to put this money in the bank. Well, no, I agree. I mean, and, and bringing it up to today, uh, I, I, don't, I don't, Ben and I will often say this, we don't trust people who make, make their living from being psychics and mediums, because in a way, nothing's changed. Sure, people will come and they're astounded when psychics and mediums tell them things they already know, you know. And I think anybody can really do that. I mean, there are people in in Psychop, the Committee for the Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal, who are nothing but a bunch of super skeptics and are dishonest in that way, in my personal opinion. But they'll go out and they will uh, even try and, and and get up on a stage. At times, I've known one or two have done that, and we'll we'll try and just just guess by people's body language or whatever. And, and they'll be fifty percent right half the time, sometimes more. And uh, I see what you mean. You know, to to get people to pay for this is something that makes me very nervous. I mean, well, well, to your point, how about Jonathan Edwards? What a charlatan! Well, I don't know, John. I'll tell you something that's really funny. I have a connection with John Edward because his publicist later became my publicist, and then this goes back a few years. But she was determined—a wonderful, wonderful woman, I love her dearly. But she was determined to turn me into a psychic, and uh, you know, there even was a point where uh, I was—you know—I I, just—I 
I was I was very uncomfortable with the experience because it was I used a multiverse approach to it, which which it was just too intimate. I it was like becoming that person, and there was not no fakery about it. And I, I was supposedly told that I was an uh, eighty to ninety percent accurate, but I just I was not comfortable in that role. That's not what I'm supposed to be doing. And again, I think anybody can do that if they use the multiverse. But I mean, is that what it's for? I just I just wasn't comfortable with it, and it wasn't right. And I I backed out very soon because, and I said that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. So um, I don't know. That, that's you know I see what you're saying, and I just I agree. But we do have to take a commercial break. So okay, all right. I'll let you go. But well, you, you're telling me that somebody actually said, "Hey, Paul, let's make you into a psychic." Effectively, yeah. Basically. I, I, I just, really? I, oh, yeah, yeah. I just, it, no just, I couldn't, I couldn't. The intimacy of the experience was just too much for me. I, I couldn't do it, and 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 also I did not feel right about anybody, any any effort to have me take money for it. I just, I just didn't think it was right. You don't do that with your fellow human beings. And you know, I make a we make our living pretty much through. Uh, we have a little media company our family runs, and we produce a little trade magazine, which has nothing to do with the paranormal. And that's how essentially we make you know. And the rest of it's kind of a ministry, for lack of a better term. No, that's a that's a good point. That's a very good way to phrase it. A ministry help people who actually need help. That's a very good way to phrase it. But you, you basically felt you were like you know Johnny Bravo on on. <laughs> Oh, Johnny. No. Thanks. At my age, I appreciate that. Yeah, but no, you're going to be like on the Brady Bunch. Hey, you, you know why we hired you, Paul? Because you fit the suit. <laughs> well, there we go. Well, on that note, Scott, we're going to take our break. Thanks for calling. Okay. We always love to hear from you. Okay. Okay, okay Scott from Uxbridge, everyone. Let's take our break. We'll be right back and behind the paranormal on WON 1240 AM and com. Stay with us. Everything you know is wrong. Hi, I'm Ben Eno. And I'm Paul Eno. Check out our show, Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, here on ON 1240 AM on Mondays on our new drive time slot at 6 p.m. The paranormal is not what you think it is. You're going to examine the whole thing from a whole new perspective on our show, and we expect that you're going to be very surprised. Do not check your brain at the door. You're going to need it. Be there. And we wanted to remind you about Amazon Kindle, the marvelous e-reader device in which you can get over 2 million games, apps, applications that is, books, newspapers, and magazines. And the high end, of course, being $179, the Amazon Kindle Fire, full color, and all kinds of um, ways you can use this. Tremendous thing. You don't have to carry books around anymore. You have them right in your hand, and they can be downloaded right through the Internet, I guess, or whatever the magic of this is. And also, if you don't want to spend that much, there is, of course, $79, the original Amazon Kindle device, books, magazines, and anything you want to read is right there. And uh, eliminating all sorts of expensive trips to the bookstore. And all sorts of time involved in waiting for books to come through the mail if you order them online, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. However, Amazon.com, uh, check it out. Uh, Staples also has these devices. And a wonderful, wonderful gift at any point. And we have, of course, before you know it, it's going to be gift-giving season again. So check it out. Amazon Kindle and Amazon Kindle Fire. Okay, we're back behind the paranormal. We have no guest this evening. Uh, ben and I are dealing with emails and calls. And we will continue... Uh, with uh, the one, the latest report from our good friend and show reporter Donna in Connecticut, and she was mentioning that she was out on the porch the other morning, and her husband came out and said, "This something in this house is sucking the life out of me." 
that kind of makes me nervous. Ben and I are very familiar in this, with this house. As a matter of fact, we were there just, what, last Thursday evening. Yeah, not even a week. Yeah, and it's uh, it's not near where we live, but we happen to be in that area for a public appearance. And the the notion that parasites, as we, as we mentioned earlier in the show, are cosmic mosquitoes, so to speak, the result of their activity can be chronic Wait, was fatigue. He, was, was he serious or was he using hyperbole? He sometimes has said this, I understand. And people will feel fatigued, drained, uh, yeah. uh, energy gone, you know, even, well, even that, if they've that's had a good night's sleep. to be expected sleep. in that place. Well, it is. Uh, very often we associate that with parasites, but we have seen really no, no I parasite think activity I think in this house. I think, the, I think, in my opinion, I think it's the energies in that area. Yeah, the energy exchange. The whole area is affected. There's, there's, there's a triangle area going on here. We're still researching that. And maybe somebody else knows about it, too. And this is the area we've referred to as having military activity and things of this kind going on. And, uh, and a so-called abandoned farm where uh, we think portals are being examined. But you've heard enough about this, so back to her email. Yeah, all right, back to the email. All right. Okay, now here, this is another thing. Uh, she says, I have a routine that I follow faithfully every night. I watch uh, the news on a certain channel. When I finish up on my computer, the screensaver stays on while not in use for about five minutes. I turn off the lights and TV, then use the remaining light from the computer screen to gather up my dog and walk up the stairs. Last night was no different. When I got to the bedroom, the computer screen was still lit up. I got into bed, and after a couple of minutes, the screen went dark and the house was dark. At about 1 a.m., I woke up, and the screen was on, and I could hear someone typing on the keyboard very quickly. I looked over. Excuse me, and my husband was sleeping. I laid there a minute uh, or so, wondering who was using the computer as my daughter was in bed and nobody was up. For some reason, I didn't even bother to get up and check. Uh, This sort of thing happens in this house all the time. I was so exhausted that I felt like my arms and legs were made of lead. The screen was still on this morning and was on the sign-in for this email address. I tried to get into my account here, and it said that there had been a security breach and wanted me to reaffirm all my information. I got, I just got on here now after having to make a new password. When I came down this morning, I turned on the TV, but it, it had been manually switched to DVD, which promptly blasted a kid's video, and the DVD player had manually been turned on also. Just very odd. It's your grandson. That's possible, but uh, I don't I, think I, I the computer just, at I night... Just, I was making a joke, you know. I mean, that's entirely I was trying, trying to be a little jocular here. Yeah, of course. No, I mean, you have to look at the, these things before you look at anything paranormal, even in this house. But the idea of a computer breach, uh, some kind of security breach, of someone typing at 1 o'clock in the morning... Well, that's not the first not, time I've uh, heard of that. I mean, I've heard, oh, I I've heard, heard stories no, like that, too. too but, but in this particular area, in this particular context, where... And again, we are not conspiracy theorists, but we have a lot of suspicions about what's going on in this area. There's, there's evidence of, uh, what I suppose we used to call it mass hysteria, and I don't think that's called that anymore in psychology, but evidence of people... Well, it you still know, exists in sociology terms. So, well, yeah, one wonders about you know, the, the odd microwave activity. Is, is there some kind of attempt at mind control going on in this population, in this triangle? I'm wondering if half the things that are being seen in this house are prompted by, I suppose, micro, you might call it uh, microwave pollution or electropollution, as it's sometimes called, and whether there is uh, really, in all cases anyway, some kind of multiverse overlap going on here. We're going to continue to look into this case because there's never a dull moment, and uh, we're just concerned because this is the area where people all of a sudden started driving on the wrong side of the road. Uh, when it came out in the paper, 
uh, all of a sudden everything changed and people started driving into trees. And then um, rafts of suicides began. Uh, this is a matter of great concern in the context of a, of a paranormal flap going on and odd military activity, strange electronic devices uh, on poles and in trees. Uh, it just it just doesn't add up for me, and I'm, we're just really concerned, and we continue to investigate it. All right, so here's one now. This is... Um, Oh, good, a short one. Uh, sure, a real short one. This is about meditation. It's, it's from Susan in Rentham, Massachusetts, right, in our local area. Okay, so Susan writes to, to us. Hi, guys. My boyfriend and I love how you blend the paranormal with all kinds of important subjects like God. So here's a question. What's the difference between prayer and meditation? All right, well, I'll start this. Ben can finish it because he's pretty good at this. Oh, The idea of what okay. prayer is is surprisingly misunderstood. People think prayer means saying prayers, using words. That is only the merest beginning. If and when you go to church or to synagogue or anywhere else where you have a worshiping community, you will use words out of books. This is just the very, very beginning. Notice that in the history of the spiritual life of the human race, People have, when they've reached a certain point, separated themselves from the community and gone to live in caves or in the desert or even in some of the Greek uh, traditions in trees or on tops of pillars, things of this kind. Yeah, stylites. Stylites. In order to be alone and, and to pray because prayer stopped being words, it became something that was present in the heart and then it became a mode of existence a state of being. We're always saying that people in this society don't understand love. People are writing it all the time. Oh, everything's messed up. People don't know what love is. They love themselves through each other. They don't know how to love each other. Because love is not an emotion. Love is a state of being. So is prayer. As a matter of fact, it's the same state of being. So, what is meditation? Where does that fit in? Ben, if you want to take it from there, oh, meditation can start with words and end up where? I mean, just well, be, being a shaman in training. Thanks for... Uh, I'll continue if you want. No, no, I'm just saying because it's pretty much the same thing. There's no difference at all. I mean, okay, there, yeah. there's just different words for the same thing. I mean, there are little mantras, which is basically the same thing as a prayer. Tools. Words yeah, as tools. Yeah, yeah to get your yeah. mind into that state of being, but then you eventually get to a state where... You don't have to do that anymore, and you're just constantly in a state of meditation or prayer or contemplation or whatever, what have you. Well, somebody pointed out in an email last week that, that, that I, I was pointing out that when I have um, came out of the closet about communicating with some of the things we work with in the paranormal uh, sphere, I would mention being in a meditative state in order to do that. And, and not using things like Ouija boards or seances or, as I, as I call, the sledgehammer methods for communication with whatever it may claim to be. But that sort of meditation, that, that's kind of prayer, too, being in silence. And that is, silence is a tough thing for people in this society. We are now surrounded by distractions. There's constant noise. And we get very, very uncomfortable when there's no noise around us. Silence is probably the foundation for all things spiritual, especially for prayer and for meditation. If you can't be silent, you can't meditate, and you certainly can't pray. So the answer to the question here, Susan, what is the difference between prayer and meditation? I think ultimately 
there really is no difference. Meditation is being outside oneself, and that's the secret, not inside, looking outward, not inward, and connecting with God because that's what's outside you. So I really, really couldn't put it in any other way. I, I might, I have several chapters on this subject in Turning Home, God, Ghost, and Human Destiny, and you might want to, I suppose, check that out if you uh, have a chance to buy the book or to look at it or whatever. But I, I kind of deal with that. So but that, I think that's pretty much the answer uh, to that question. Okay, here, here's a kind of a fun one. This is from Mickey Loomis in Grant, Nebraska. And uh, Ben has gone uh, out to answer the phone again. Uh, Grant, Nebraska, and Mickey says, uh, Hi, Paul and Ben, here's a, good, here's a good one for you. We have a large family, and everybody has cars. We park them in the same place, a long driveway with the garage. But every few days, something weird starts to happen. The cars turn around by themselves. We'll park them one way at night, and by morning, one or two of them, sometimes more, will be turned in another direction. They are never sideways or anything, just pointed up or down the driveway. My brother and me have even stayed up at night and to try and see what happens, and once when we looked away from the window, the car turned around when we were not looking. I was going to try sleeping in one of the cars, but do you think I might get sucked into another world? <laughs> okay. Obviously, someone who listens to the show... Uh, believe it or not, I've run into this before. Uh, there was a case in Attleboro, Massachusetts, in our local area here, uh, where p- people would say, among the other things happening on the property and in the house, the car would literally turn around. They wouldn't, ne- they would never see it, but they'd look, and then it happened just as as, as uh, Mickey describes here. They would looked away from the window, looked back, and the car was turned around. I think this is just a symptom of not not of uh, you know the ghost doing anything or some kind of. Uh, entity, you know, doing this deliberately. Many times, the things that happen in a quote-unquote haunted area are just the en- the energies that are there. They do funny things with time and space. People will say, "Well, oh, well, the ghost knocked the thing off the shelf, or or played a trick on me, or is taking my car keys." Well, I think nine times out of ten, that's the energies involved. When you have an area where the multiverse is ebbing and flowing or different worlds are flowing back and forth, you'll have a world where the car was in one place and then another world flows over it and the cars turn in another direction because in that world you parked it that way the day before. Essentially, that's how it works. So uh, I think that's that's essentially what's happening here. You don't mention any other phenomena going on. I'd like to hear about it if you have uh, because it could shed some light on what's going on in the driveway. But if that's all there is to it. Uh, then, um, then we have an interesting situation that might just be energies. And uh, oh, we have Donna uh, on the line. So, Donna, h- how are you doing today? Uh, welcome to the show. Hi, Paul. Hi, Ben. I um, got disconnected before we had a uh, wicked thunderstorm come through here, and I oh yeah, caught... they're headed for us now. I understand. Yep. I, missed, yeah. I missed most of your show, and I just caught the very few minutes when you were talking about my email today. Yeah. So I thought I'd call in and add anything if you were interested in uh, any further information. Oh, by all means. Um, I asked my daughter today if she had been up, and she said no. And the reason I didn't think it was my grandson is because he generally comes um, through the upstairs into our bedroom, and he will lean over us and breathe very heavily and look in our eyes to see if we're awake or not. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we know we... your grandson. I can just see him doing that. Yeah. <laughs> he wakes you up just checking to see if you're awake or not. But, um, no, everything was off and everything was out and everything was closed. And what made me wonder was you had to... Um, you had to push the buttons on the side of the TV, and they're very closely, um, you know, up and down levers to move it from, you know, AR to TV to video. 
and I don't think he knows how to do that because I've always had to turn it on for him. Okay. And then the DVD player was manually turned on and pushed the start button. So I just I just thought it was very odd, you know, with the whole thing. It was almost like electrical or something just, you know, came through that just happened all of a sudden. And, um, you know, when I, when I woke up and heard that, it was furious typing on the keyboard, which is right at the foot of the stairs and the... The uh, monitor lights up the entire staircase, and that's why I use it at night, you know, yeah. when I go upstairs. And then it shuts itself off after a couple of minutes. The, um, uh, if I can just interrupt, there, there are theories now, and I'm not saying we believe them, but that people who are working for the government or, or, or whatever organization is messing around with people's minds mm-hmm. in areas like yours, if that's what's happening. Right can use the multiverse to disappear. Right. To appear in people's homes, to mess with their stuff, and crazy as that sounds, uh, you know, we live in a crazy time, and the technology is about 10 years of what most pe- ahead of what most people are aware of. I learned that in my own training in the military. So anything is possible in your area. <laughs> So, I, uh, I mean, that's what I thought. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm just concerned with you know security breaches and having to put in new passwords because somebody was messing around, somebody you couldn't see. Right. Um, so I think we're again we're just it's the first day of school with your case, even though we've been working on it for seven years now. Right. Well, you know, the whole thing is is that um, I've been very careful recently. I, I of course have my own theories and opinions on various things that are going on in the country. Sure. Um, but I've been very careful not to post anything. I've dropped a lot of the websites that I, were on, I was on, and I stopped some of the research. I found enough out of what I needed to know that kind of, you know, fulfilled my suspicions and stuff. So I've been kind of staying away from that and laying low, you know, not really going into sure. anything for quite a while now. Okay. I'm afraid I'm going to have to stop you there because we're just about out of time, Donna. Okay, Paul. But, uh, we're, we'll be in touch as we always are, and we'll okay. hear from me on the show very soon. I'll keep you updated. Say, Hang in there, kid. Oh, okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Good one. Okay. I'm afraid that's about it for our emails today and our calls. We'll have to thank everybody for calling in. Ben and I, along with my older son, Jonathan, had a very interesting time in Torrington, Connecticut on Thursday, July 19th, when we participated in the annual Main Street Festival. Many thanks to our sponsor, the Torrington Public Library, uh, the the Philly family, and all the wonderful local residents we met. All right, so our next stop is Woodbridge, Suffolk, England, on Saturday, September 22nd. We will present our program Exploring the Paranormal with CBS Radio's Paul and Ben Eno at the Grove House Hotel in Woodbridge from 7 to 11 p.m. Tickets are 15 pounds per person and will include a full buffet courtesy of the hotel and profits will go to local charities. And the evening will include a town hall style meeting on paranormal events in the highly active area which was the scene of the famous Rendlesham Forest UFO incidents of 1980. And Larry Warren, uh, eyewitness to the events at uh, Rendlesham and his co-author of the book uh, Left at East Gate plan to be with us that evening so for more information and to buy tickets visit www.spaceportuk.com slash events.html or just go to our website www.behindtheparanormal.com and look for the link to the site that and it's under new stuff or what's new sorry huh. so what's new that's the section uh, ben and I will be featured speakers at the All Hallows Eve Psychic Fair at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Warwick, Rhode Island on Sunday, October 28th. Watch for more information on those events at BehindTheParanormal.com. Uh, also on that website, find out about our guests, past, present, and future. Get over 
well, as Ben will tell you, 400 free podcasts. And you can also well, I don't need to tell them now because you're already told them. Okay, well, fine, just skip it. Uh, or you can apply to become a show reporter. So many thanks to our producer, Ben himself. And uh, we'll see you next Monday, July 30th, right here on WON 1240 AM and ONWorldwide.com, when Ben and I will welcome author James Rollins for a discussion of the possibilities for and consequences of physical immortality. And on our CBS radio edition on Sunday, July 29th, we'll have Albert Rosales to talk about undersea humanoids. And we leave you this evening with a quote from none other than Winston Churchill. Courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. Courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. We will see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.